Hello friends, welcome to the Creative Bits Podcast with Volta and Bree. We are two artists who fiercely believe that anyone can be a bit creative. It's just a matter of making the time and finding the right tools. With this podcast, we hope to inspire you to take the leap and live a more creative life. Meanwhile, we cheer you on and share tips on building those creative habits bit by bit. So follow us on on Instagram at Creative Bits Podcast, where we will share inspiration quotes, behind the scenes images, and other creative tips, as well as project ideas. You can also find us uh, on our website at creativebitspodcast.com, where you'll find detailed notes of every episode. Hi, everyone. It's Bree. This is the sixth episode in our Mental Mountain series. We understand that if you haven't ever made art before, or if you've stopped making art for a long period of time, there can be a lot of fears keeping you from doing it. We have been there. It can be really scary to try something you don't feel confident about. We are calling these common fears mental mountains because while they are very challenging um, and you set out to climb a mountain, there's a lot of training involved. And we want you to feel like even though um, these mental mountains can be a challenge, that there are ways to overcoming them. So for creative work, this comes in the form of practice. And to help facilitate that practice, we're including a weekly creative workout in each episode at the end so that you have one less excuse to create. Um, There's no more saying, I don't know what to do, because at least once a week, Volta and I will share with you a fun and really simple project idea that anyone can do, regardless of um, what kind of space you have or what art supplies you have um, on hand. You can just go... um, go right home and do it. So for the first part of this episode, uh, we're going to dive into discussing our uh, mental mountain number six, which is overcoming perfectionism, uh, which is one that Volta and I, um, we do touch on on other episodes, but today we're going to really do a deep dive on this issue since um, I think a lot of our fears spring from this one. Um, So on this episode, Volta and I are going to center our conversation around two of our favorite authors, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert who you may know from her book, Eat, Pray, Love, but she also wrote a book called Big Magic that was instrumental in helping me overcome this mountain. And we'll also touch on some things from Austin Cleon's book, Show Your Work. Um, He also wrote Steal Like an Artist, so you may have heard of that book as well. I highly recommend his books because they are short and to the point, and he also includes simple but powerful visuals to make his his points stick. Then we'll move into our regular segment of art stories, our featured creative goodie for the week, which will be an art supply that um, will be inexpensive that um, we really love, and our weekly creative workout to help you strengthen those creative muscles. And then we'll end up with our weekly soul chai, which is where we'll discuss one of our favorite creative quotes that will hopefully send you off for the week feeling inspired and warm inside. Awesome. Thank you for that intro, Brie. So this will be, I think, a very interesting episode because perfectionism is so rampant in our world. I mean, almost everyone that I know has experienced that and has felt that fear of not being good enough or not, you know, not being absolutely perfect. So I wanted to start this discussion by um, mentioning especially how uh, prevalent that is among women Um, and and mentioning back to uh, Elizabeth Gilbert and her book, Big Magic, she talks about that a lot because there's, there's always, I mean, there's, you've always heard like all these studies where people say how um, when a man is given a new job and he's not maybe 
you know, 100% sure of how to do it, he'll still be confident enough to go for it. But with women, it's a lot harder for us to, to feel that, well, unless, unless we're like what 101%, then, then we'll feel qualified to have that job. Yes, absolutely. I can't, I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, it's probably every single time I look at a job description, um, where, you know, you're going through the bullet points and reading and you're like, um, you know, you feel really good. And then you hit one bullet point where you're like, Oh, well, no, I'm not 100% in that area. (laughs) And you just totally abandon the thought of, of trying to reach for something higher than what you're, what you're doing right now. Yeah. And it's, it's so, so strange that, I mean, I know it's like, it's just like societal problems as far as like women have had to overcome so much to be where we are right now. But I, I really, I, I admire or respect Elizabeth Gilbert for pointing that out again, you know, and, and we need to keep having these conversations because we have to get out of it. Like it's, you know, now it's up to us to break out of that kind of mindset, even if, we had no part in creating that mindset anyway. Absolutely. And one of, uh, you know, one of the favorite, my favorite inspirational quotes that I see floating around, you know, floating around the gram or, or Pinterest or Facebook or wherever is, and, you know, I see it every so often is, um, you know, say yes first and then figure it out. Yes. yes. <laughs> and um, I will say, I mean, even though that is definitely not my first instinct, you know, I try to put that at the forefront of my mind whenever, um, you know, my two, my two, you know, bells that go off in my head are like when I want to do something, but then I'm scared to because I feel like I'm not good enough or qualified enough. And then I always pull out that old, saying of, you know, say yes first and then figure it out later. Because if you're offered an opportunity and you allow your insecurities and just in your mind telling you that you're not good enough, then you'll completely miss out on that incredible opportunity. Whereas if you take a leap and you go for it, even if you're not 100% sure you can do it, um, once you say yes and you're on the hook to do it, then you'll figure it out. Exactly. And so that's where that motivation comes from. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought that up because, well, you know, if you have this opportunity, someone believed in you and presented it to you mm-hmm. and they want to say hire you for this opportunity. So they already, you know, you don't need to sell them on it. So you just have to accept it and and show up basically. So and if someone else believed you could do it, then you can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If if someone's already asking you to do something, then then you're then you're done. Your job is done. You don't have to sell anything. And so it is literally your own self holding you back yeah. from the success and moving forward and accomplishing um, your goals. So um, so really, I think our first main takeaway that that we want to just really drive home today with the topic of perfectionism is that perfectionism will ultimately prevent you from accomplishing anything. So we don't want that to happen. That's the worst case scenario is you doing nothing. And that's the whole reason we wanted to do this podcast is that Volta and I believe in everyone's creativity so much that we just want you to do something. Um, you know, we're just, we just want you to start the process and that fear of perfectionism holding you back will ultimately prevent you from doing anything. 
Yes, that's so good. And and to add or to continue that further, you know, not only will it hold you back, but you have to remember that perfectionism is born out of fear. And if you can conquer that fear, you can move forward. But not just so I think I think an important caveat to that is you can still feel fear, but and that's okay because you know, you can't completely like get rid of it. But if mm-hmm. you move forward anyway, you're kind of telling fear to, hey, you know, I I acknowledge you and I understand you, you're here, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And that's actually one of the little dialogues that uh, Elizabeth Gilbert mentions in her book is, you know, like driving a car and having fear in your uh, like backseat or something. <laughs> but I just I, I love that idea that, um, well, first of all, like fear will always be there no matter what you try or how you go about life. So if there's anything remotely uncomfortable, you're going to be scared of doing it. So and and that is going to stem from your idea of trying to be perfect, trying to live up to that ideal that you have in your mind. Yes, and I, I do love that uh, story that she tells about driving with with fear in the car because it's like, like you're still in the car, <laughs> you're still moving forward, but you acknowledge that fear is there with you, and that you're just going to keep on driving anyway. And um, you know, it's if you're someone who has a lot of trouble overcoming fear and, and I definitely, um, was one of them. It was a lot worse, still something that I, that I work on every day. But if you're someone that just has a really hard time overcoming fears, I mean, the good news is that since perfectionism is born out of a fear, um, that means it has nothing to do with, um, your skill level and how good you are. And, Um, or what potential you may have. It has nothing to do with that. Perfectionism is is just straight up born out of fear. It has nothing to do with how good you are or how good you can be. So the good news is that if you can acknowledge the fear and keep moving forward, then you'll make progress. Exactly. And and just to, to get back to that car analogy, so if you're in the car and you're in the driver's seat, you know, you're the one that's taking control despite the fear being there, um, then you'll, you'll succeed by, you know, just conquering that idea of, oh, not good enough. Mm -hmm. And so, and so like one way to, um, to kind of combat that or, or build that muscle of being okay with fear of failure or not being perfect is to try out new things. And, um, automatically, you know, once you try something new, you're not going to be good because you're completely new to this. So, but, but if you subject yourself to these new kinds of, of experiences, you can build up that muscle and be okay with the idea of, well, I'm not going to be perfect anyway. So, you know, why not give it a shot and, you know, maybe have fun while doing it. Yes. And, and try to like, so hard, but I try to put myself in the mindset of like, of a, of a child where it's like the first, like anytime you're trying something for the first time, you know, try to think about like, Oh, like I've never done this before. And this is really exciting. Um, because it's something new instead Mm -hmm. of, Oh, I have to make this perfect. Um, my first, my first time around, you know, like children, 
you know, so many things, it's their first time because they haven't experienced a lot. And so, you know, they do a lot of that. And so everything's new, everything's exciting. And, you know, just trying to get in that mindset of like, oh, I've never tried this technique before. Um, it's going to be really exciting versus, um, I've never done this before. It's going to be terrible, you know, but like try to look at it, um, from a perspective of excitement instead. Yeah. I love that. I think, I think we can learn so much as uh, from kids because I, 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 I don't know. I just, I've always just admired the idea of, of how free and just fearless kids are, but but mm-hmm. then, you know, we were kids at one point, but like what happens? We grow up and society kind of tells us this is how you're supposed to do your thing and react to things and think. And yeah, so I think I think it's so it's so helpful to to think of that uh, from like a child perspective. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think Volta, that's a great segue into the another thing we wanted to talk about in relation to this is I think what happens as kids um, to, you know, growing up into an adulthood, especially as a creative, is the criticism aspect. And yes. so I think um, any of us who like I've been drawing for as long as I can remember, I started out drawing um, Ninja Turtles in preschool and I had an older brother who I just wanted to do everything he did. I want to be just like him. And so I would watch all his TV shows and play with all his toys. And at the time, you know, back in the, you know, um, 80s, 90s, that was Ninja Turtles. And so we would watch Ninja Turtles and play with all the Ninja Turtles toys. So I would just, I would go to preschool and I started drawing these Ninja Turtles. And um, everybody loved them so much. They, they wanted me to draw them their favorite Ninja Turtle. And I felt, and that made me feel so good about myself. And um, and it was, it was kind of like I was hooked from that point on because I felt like I was good at it. And when you're a kid, you know, you think about, you don't really get criticism, um, on things that you make. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like I was an uh, elementary art teacher for several years and always approached the class with, you know, the mindset of, oh, I want to help them learn about art and learn how to be better artists. But I also want the undercurrent of whatever you make is wonderful because it's an expression of who you are. And so I think, um, you know, no one's going to tell children like your artwork stinks. And so I think as we get older, that's when the criticism starts to be introduced. And that's when we stop, you know, we st- we stop seeing things from a perspective of excitement and exploration and we start seeing them through the lens of product and perfectionism. Yes. That's such a great story. And just to, to, to build that a little further, um, there's, I mean, there's always going to be one, at least one person that's not going to enjoy or like what you create, but who cares about them? You know, if it brings you joy and if it made you happy, that criticism is absolutely pointless and has no room in your life. It, you shouldn't let that bother you or even consider that. So for, for example, like I, I believe um, Elizabeth Gilbert mentioned that in her book that even um, Beethoven's symphonies, which are considered, you know, some of the most incredible music ever written, they were still considered to be too loud. So there were some people that didn't enjoy them. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You can never please everyone. There will always be someone that's going to say something. Um, so why why waste your time trying to, you know, uh, please every every single person in your life or out out there in, on the internet, which is even harder. Mm-hmm. And and I love the quote that she says, Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, Big Magic, uh, the book, same book we've been talking about. She says, nothing is ever beyond criticism. No matter how many hours you spend attempting to render something flawless, somebody will always be able to find fault with that. Yes, that's so true. And, and when you think about it too, I mean, if you, you just step back from like say the art world or the music world or poetry or writing or, or whatever it is that you want to create, if you just step back from that and just think about conversations you have with your friends or family, you know, Oh, did you watch this show? Did you watch this movie? Did you read this book? And you'll have, you know, you might have, you know, you have people who love it and then you have people on the other side who don't love it. Um, you know, like I love foreign films, you know, mm-hmm. but, and they speak to me, you know, to my soul deeply, you know, movies like Amelie and, um, life is beautiful and movies like that. Some people that is not their jam. Yeah. And so there's, there's not anything that's ever going to be universally loved 100%. There's always going to be people out there who have different opinions. And you know what, that's actually great news for us as creators, because we create in so many different ways then that means that because people's opinions are so different that our work is going to resonate with someone else because there's going to be other people out there that share the same opinions that we do. Yeah, that's such a great point. And by the way, Brie, I also love foreign films, but not everyone does. <laughs> yes, you know, people, I know. <laughs> people get turned off by reading subtitles, but I freaking love it. <laughs> oh, gosh. I love like Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Oh, such uh, a great movie. A very long engagement. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's so good. Oh, man. Um, it's got the same girl from Amelie in it. Um, I need to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny how, just a quick side story, how I got into that. So um, before we started recording, Volt and I were just chatting like an update on um, uh, the issues I've been having with my back and, and just... So like nine years ago, um, I hurt my back and ended up having to have surgery. And it was just a really terrible um, time in my life. But um, I would, this is how I got into foreign film is so nine years ago, Netflix, you know, the early days, your earlier days of Netflix, they didn't have all of the kind of more mainstream content that they do now. And they certainly didn't have any original content um, like they're making now. It's so good. But they had a lot of like less mainstream stuff. <laughs> and so <laughs> they had a lot of the stuff that they had on Netflix was foreign films. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how I got into it because I wasn't able to work. I was in a lot of pain. I was on pain medicine a lot of the time. So I was just like laying down at home watching Netflix. And so um, that's how I got into foreign films. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, turn that, turn those lemons into lemonade kind of a thing. But yeah. All that to say, um, yeah, it's just foreign films aren't everybody's jam, but the the people like me and Volta who love them, like really connect with them and they really touch our souls deeply. So, yeah. So basically, don't let criticism stop you from creating because you could make someone's day out there. You know, you may not make everyone's day, but you could make someone really happy with the art that you create or however you decide to express yourself. So don't don't let that fear stop you from being who you are. Yep. 
Yep, exactly. So perfectionism is born out of fear. If you conquer the fear of, of the criticism, ultimately, and what people think about you, you, you can move forward and just acknowledge it and that it's going to be there, but that you're going to create your work anyway. Brilliant. Yes. And so to, to continue that conversation, I wanted to say, um, or I mentioned the idea of process over product. So uh, another really good quote from Elizabeth Gilbert's book, uh, Big Magic, is you can measure your worth by your dedication to your path, not by your successes or failures. And mm-hmm. especially as artists, I feel like that's so important because, well, first of all, as as the, perf- the, the fear of perfection kind of makes you focus on just the final outcome, just the, you know, the the actual like getting to that destination. So you sometimes forget to enjoy the journey itself. So maybe, um, maybe if you like painting, you know, you, you're creating all this pressure that, Oh, it has to be perfect. Like the end product just absolutely must be absolutely perfect, but you forget to enjoy the little things like, uh, playing with your brushes or trying out this new technique or trying out a new tool on your painting. So I think enjoying and and trying to make the most of that process and focusing on that versus, you know, stressing out that, oh, this is not perfect. Why am I even doing this? Uh, Will help you overcome this fear of, of perfection and not creating at all. Yes, that's so good. I, I love this quote because, you know, the dedication to your path, you know, it's is that's where the success lies is, is in your dedication. And, um, you know, you read so many stories about people who have tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. I was just watching, trying to catch up on American Idol the other day. And one of the girls, she had said, um, that she had tried out for American Idol. It was either 13 or 19 times. Wow. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. Wow. 13 or 19 times. And then this time this year she made it through and, um, and she's in the, this, I mean, I'm behind a few episodes, but this is like, I think the top, I think she made it into the top 24 or top 14. I forget, but I mean, she's made it really far and she's, you know, this, um, her success that she's experiencing right now is going to really set her career path on a different, um, level than it would have been. And, you know, you just think about the, all the rejection, all the rejection and self doubts that she must've had with every rejection that she got, but she believed in herself and her passion and her dedication so much that she kept coming back. And I think it's mentally getting to a place where you can, um, you can say, okay, like, I don't care about the outcome. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't care about the outcome. I, regardless of it, regardless of what the outcome is, I have to make this or I have to do this. I have to create this because if I don't, um, then I will not be fulfilled um, in my, in my life because I will feel like I'm missing something in my life if I don't do this. And so it's just kind of getting out of the headspace of, of the, of your end game. I mean, it's good. It's good to have goals and you need to have goals, but you have to just look at them and say, this is what I'm shooting for. 
but I'm going to move towards it regardless of what gets in my way and what happens and what anybody says. Wow, that is such an inspiring story. I mean, I, I just love hearing those kinds of examples because a lot of times we just hear people that have made it or, you know, we just see like the success part of people. So we we don't necessarily stop and think, wait, but how long did it take him to get here? And what did they mm. have to go through? And like, what are the, you know, let alone the challenges of just showing up to an audition that many times, but mm. the mental, the mental struggle that she must have, you know, had you to imagine fix, that's wow. That's I'm so I'm so inspired right now. Yeah, it's it is really inspiring because I just think about all the times that I've gotten just one rejection and it sets me back mentally so far. And, um, I think, I think I've been able to overcome that to a degree now because I feel like, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm going to keep stepping up to the plate and, and hitting balls and hitting balls until something happens because, um, because I don't want to quit because the alternative for me is not creating work and that's not okay. So it's like, but I just think about just, you know, every rejection, it, it hurts a little bit, you know, <laughs> you just yeah. have to, Oh my gosh. Yes. I've totally been there. Like a client that, to didn't, rally. that didn't work out, you know, or something you know, like a, yep. a contest that you didn't win. Like I've totally been there and totally un- agree with you that it's, it stings, you know, it's hard to not let that bother you a little bit. But at the same time, you know, we have to just remember to keep moving forward and, and falling in love with the process over and over again. Yep, absolutely. And just, I think maybe we could even, you know, the rejection aspect of it, um, you know, kind of treat it like the fear. It's like, Rejection is going to be in the car with you too. Um, it just is. That's There's so not going to be anyone that doesn't face that. It's it's just going to happen um, at one point or another. It may not seem like everyone deals with it, but that's just because they're not talking about yes. it. They're not, yes. they're not out there on social media talking about some big rejection or some big client they lost or a big opportunity that they lost. Um but it does happen. It happens to everybody. And so just realizing that they are going to be in the car with you on this journey. And our job is to figure out, you know, and to set our minds to I'm going to keep driving anyway. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love how you you included rejection in that car. That's so that's so on point. There's there's probably lots of other people in the car with us too, but for the purpose of this episode, um, fear and rejection yeah, are in the yeah. car with I can, us. I can mention a couple of others, like yeah. anxiety, just being just yep. just being tired, maybe. Right, the struggle is real. Yeah. Lack of sleep is yep. definitely in the car with me. Uh, so worth it, though. So worth it being in that car and driving forward anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, so definitely um, process over product. And I just wanted to mention one other quick thing from um, Austin Cleon's book, Show Your Work. He talks about Sturgeon's Law, which I actually went and did a quick Google search on it. And um, according to Wikipedia, it's actually Sturgeon's Revelation, but kind of uh, has been known as Sturgeon's Law and basically the idea of like 90% of, of what you create is going to be crap. And then 10%, only 10% is going to be good. And, um, so, so Sturgeon, um, came up with this concept or he's, 
he's um, he's credited for this comment, but um, I think the first time it was the I, the concept was brought up was actually in 1890 in Rudyard Kipling's The Light That Failed, um, where he said four fifths of everybody's work must be bad, but the remnant is worth the trouble for its own sake. And I think that that's brilliant because um, you just have to realize that um, most of what you make is not going to be good. Mm -hmm. And I think once you realize that and accept it, then the pressure, the pressure is off of you to make good work 100% of the time because um, the, the law is that 90% is going to be bad. And so um, it's kind of funny though, but the Sturgeon first mentions this in 1958, an issue of venture where he says, um, it was wrung, wrung out of me after 20 years of wearing defense of science fiction against attacks of people who use the worst examples of the field for ammunition and whose conclusion was that 90% of science fiction is crud. Using the same standards that categorize 90% of science fiction as trash, crud, or crap, it can be argued that 90% of film, literature, consumer goods, etc. is crap. In other words, the claim or fact that 90% of science fiction is crap is ultimately uninformative because science fiction conforms to the same trends of quality as all other art forms. Wow. So, he, yeah. So he was a science fiction writer, which is why I was talking about science fiction, but um, but just that it applies to everything else as well. Mm-hmm. And I just think, I mean, it might be kind of depressing to hear that 90% of your work is going to suck, but it's also freeing. It's also freeing. So go out and make the work anyway so that you can get to that remnant. The remnant is worth the trouble for its own sake. Exactly. You can get to that 10% of great work. Yes. And I like to think of it like all your bad work is kind of like the tax that you have to pay to get <laughs> to the good part. You know, you don't. Just, yes. You, I'm sorry, but you don't get to just skip on ahead and be. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shortcut. Yeah, there is no shortcut. You have to put in the work and the effort and especially, you know, showing up during those times where you feel like nothing you create is perfect. It doesn't match the ideal in your head. But showing up regardless of that will make you be successful in the end because you've stuck out with it because you fell in love with the process and you you didn't let that little perfectionist voice in your head stop you from it. Yep. Yep. So the only way to get to that 10% is to make the 90%. So if you're thinking in terms of like pieces of work, you've got to create 10 pieces of work to get one that's good. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't show up to make that crappy work, how are you ever going to get to the 10%? It's kind of like you have to go through the bad work to get to the good work. Absolutely. It's a process, people. You gotta, you gotta do it. <laughs> yep. And so, yes. So, process over product. I know it's cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know that people tend to not like cliches, but they're so true. I mean, <laughs> they are. They are. Well, I have a coworker who says cliches are cliche for a reason, and it's and in that cliche is true. So. <laughs> oh my like, gosh. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't even think about that cliche being a cliche. It is. Yeah. That cliche is a cliche, but cliche is a cliche for a reason. And now we've just had cliche inception. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mind blown. <laughs> so, um, oh. yeah. So Volta, do you want to talk a little bit about just like personally, I know we've touched on some of them, but just personally how ways that we've been able to overcome uh, some of these things, just kind of more practical 
tips and tricks? Yeah. So one thing that I'm very passionate about um, is meditation, which I'm, I'm not going to go into like a long explanation of how to do it, but just, just bear with me and hear me out. Um, <laughs> the whole point of meditation is to pay attention to your breath. Well, because it's very hard. Like I've been doing it for about 300 consecutive days and I Ooh. still, I still suck at it. You guys, like it's still hard. Like I still have a lot of thoughts and I, I get distracted and I keep thinking and planning and all this stuff. But the whole practice of, hey, I messed up because I wasn't paying attention to my breath, but it's okay. I'm not perfect. I'll get back to uh, paying attention to my breath after I have this thought. So having that practice, you know, kind of doing that daily, every day and, and experiencing that feeling of, well, I wasn't perfect, but that's okay because... I don't need to be perfect in my meditation. This is who I am right now at this point in time. Well, mm. that the whole practice is really helping me adapt that to other areas of my life. So not not only is it helping me like be calmer, but you know because of the paying attention to your breath. Um, but also it allows me to you know if I mess up a painting or if I mess up something that, you know, maybe I said something wrong to a client in an email, I just take a step back and I say, it's okay, I'm not perfect. And I learned from this. So, you know, it wasn't a waste of time or, you know, even if it, it is a mistake in the long run, it's going to be a lesson that I, mm-hmm. you know, have taken and, and gotten better as a result of it. That's so good. Um, I love that you brought up writing emails because that's probably one area where my perfectionism rears its very, very ugly head (laughs) because especially when it's a very important email or, um, you know, it's a tricky situation and I'm trying to figure out a way to express something in a way that doesn't um, create a bad end result and I will sit and stare at emails drafts for so long. I mean, sometimes hours, it's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, I'm working on it, but it's, it's almost like I get to the point where I've wasted so much time where it's like, okay, like the person on the other end of this is not going to be reading into this email nearly as much as I am. And I just need to hit send. Mm. And I think that that definitely translates into creating work because it's like, you know, the, the quote too, of like perfectionism is the, is the enemy of getting it done, of done. Yeah. And so it's like, you have to send this email, right? There's no other, you can't just ignore it. You have to send the email. And if you sit there and you tweak it until, you know, tweak it to death until you feel like it's perfect, you know, it might not ever get done. And so like, you just, you have to do it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, done is better than perfect. I, I just, yep. I, I don't remember who exactly said that, but I, I so agree with it. Another cliche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For a reason. <laughs> um, and uh, so another another thing that I wanted to mention too, like a little tip, I guess, is try to slow down um, because you're moving too fast. And I'm actually uh, somewhat quasi-quoting a an internet video of this cat lady, <laughs> um, which is, it's, if you Google, if you go on YouTube and you search for Champer Damper cat video, you will find <laughs> you will find what I'm referencing. And of course, we'll include it in the show notes. But 
Um, that video. This is a gem. Like, run to the internet right now if you have not seen this video. <laughs> yes, it is an internet gem, and it's basically like uh, this cat lady doing giving a massage to her cat and basically <laughs> going through the instructions of how to properly do it, and it's hilarious. Um, but what sticks out from that video is that as she's giving the massage to the cat so you can just picture that she's she's singing this song slow down you're moving too fast mm. <laughs> and because so it's, wise cat lady <laughs> because it's so memorable yeah it's it's a great it's a great little um thought to have because you know by slowing down you just automatically are going to start to notice and enjoy the process more than trying to just rush through it and get to the destination or what you think is, you know, the perfect spot, which, you know, you may not get for a while. Like you may not be completely satisfied because it's not perfect. But if you're enjoying the process, you're more likely to get there because you'll show up no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, we are, so Volta and I were talking about this cat cat video lady um earlier as we were preparing for this episode and we just kind of started talking about how you know she's um you know an internet gem and it's because she was like her video is far from perfect it is not production quality um it's very strange but she's being like very authentic and she's being like her true self and um we just started talking about how that applies towards um like showing your work and and I definitely recommend getting Austin Cleon's book show your work because um his book was so helpful for me to get over myself and showing my work um online and just the idea of putting your authentic self out there and um just you know the idea of just having like the perfect Instagram feed um is just it's such folly because it's almost, you know, and, and you'll probably realize this too is when you're scrolling through, you know, someone's Instagram feed and it's like perfectly curated, you know, they have like their handwritten inspirational quotes and then they have their, you know, in brush lettering and then they have um, all of the backgrounds and their photos are coordinating colors and then they have all these perfect studio pictures and it's all this one um, really gorgeous uh, collection, if you will, of, of a feed. And I think that our gut reaction to those feeds are like, oh, wow, that's like really beautiful and gorgeous. And like, um, this is really nice. But as a follower, you know, that's a very, um, you know, your first reaction is kind of a, it's a, it's a shallow, it, it goes, it doesn't go very deep. And if you were to follow that account that has this like perfect feed, then over time, when you see those photos that all look the same as a follower, you're not going to be as interested in that because over time you, it's, it's just going to get old. It's going to be interesting. It's going to become boring to you. And, um, just kind of the idea of like, you know, I love chocolate ice cream or I love donuts, but if I had, you know, 30 of my favorite donuts in the whole world, I would get sick of it. And so if, you know, the idea of having a perfect Instagram feed is keeping you from showing your work, especially as someone who maybe you're new to making art or writing or, or writing songs or making music or whatever, or if you've taken a long break from it, um, as was my case, 
um, it can be very scary to, to just put it out there and not feel like you're going to have like a perfect feed. But, um, when you don't have a perfect feed, it's so much more exciting and original for the followers that you have. They will stick around longer. You'll have a, um, a more quality following versus a quantity following or, you know, and hopefully eventually you'll have the quantity following as well. But the quantity that you'll have will be better quality because they'll be following you for who you are and for being authentic and not just creating a curated feed. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. And, and let us remember that, um, we, so how we relate to one another is through imperfections. So if you have an imperfect feed, then people are more likely to respond to you because they can relate to it. You know, it's, you're not trying to, you know, be super strict with your brand or like that's that's just so inauthentic to me and I personally like I get turned off even if it's Mm. even if I know I'm following a business and you know they're building a brand and they have these colors it's just I don't know if it's like so perfect that it just it is kind of just such a turn off I don't even want to follow it because it's boring it's boring it's not it doesn't seem authentic at all Absolutely. When I think even as, as a business, if you're trying to sell something, um, you know, there's always, you know, you always get really excited when you see like a picture of the actual person behind the account that you follow because Mm -hmm. you feel like you're, there's an element of trust there. And because if someone's willing to show, um, a bit of imperfection, then you feel like you can trust them more. If someone's always putting out perfection, 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 but we know that we're all not perfect then they're portraying um, an, you know, an inaccurate picture of themselves exactly. or their business. And so it's that imperfection that creates um, the trust in a brand. Yeah. So something to keep in mind. Yeah. Even though like, I feel, you know, it's, it's so easy to, as you scroll through Instagram, it's easy to forget that, um, that maybe, you know, this perfect picture is not authentic and then it can make us feel like, Oh, we're, we'll, our photo is not that great. So, you know, and then it just has like all these things of feelings of comparisons and which I feel like is a whole nother episode in itself. But <laughs> yes, we do need to cover that at some point. Um, but I just want to, you know, just be mindful of that. So you're, you're not perfect. They're not perfect. And if someone is trying to portray that, then it's just, I don't know. Just not. It does not resonate with me, and I'm. I'm not in it. I'm not into it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, it may resonate for the short term. I think you know, because we'll all see these accounts, and they have like tons of followers and stuff. But then, if you if you dig deep into their posts, you know, how many people are actually commenting and engaging with that brand? And so, um, you know, it, it may be a, a wide following, but not a deep following. And where you'll find your um, you know, people willing to give you money for your work is in that deep volume, not that wide volume. So just, you know, to keep that in mind as well. Um, yeah, don't compare yourself to other people. Just you do you. And, um, I read something the other day. I said, I think it was from Ashley Longshore. She is like everywhere now, I feel like, but she made some comment about, um, you know, trying to be as creative with your feed as you are with your art. And I thought um, that that was, I was like, why didn't I ever think about that? Like, you know, be creative about what you share and think about what people, you know, don't think about, oh, well, I'm trying to show my best work. Think about what is, what other people would like. What would, 
you know, what's going to connect with other people? What would they enjoy seeing and take, you know, approach it from how can you provide value to other people? And then you'll be rewarded with loyal followers because you're providing them value and a reason to follow along. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love that um, point that you made. Uh, all right. So I think, I think we've, uh, covered, uh, was there anything? Have we beaten it to death? Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I hope that by, by this time you guys have felt a little bit inspired, you know, to, to kind of step out and, you know, just go for it and not let perfectionism stop you. Yes. It's yes. And always think of the alternative. If you let perfectionism stop you, you won't ever move forward. So, yeah. So, Alright, cool. Well, I guess it's time for art stories. Yes, art stories. Brie, what is the art, art stories story. for today? So this is a really great art story that I found on Artnet um, about an artist named, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but I'm going to give it a shot, um, Ignacy Monreal. Um, and he um, was working with Gucci and he created, um, he used old master paintings to create a capsule collection for, um, for Gucci. And um, he's hoping to enlighten a younger generation about the cultural significance of these old historical works. And um, I just think it's really cool because it's, it's going beyond traditional photography that you would think about um, in relation to fashion. Um, and apparently Gucci over the past couple of years has been exploring these new creative outlets, um, such as like Instagram campaigns and artist collaborations, which is really cool. And, um, a couple of the paintings that, um, this artist used as his inspiration for this collection, um, was Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights, um, as well as the painting Ophelia by John Everett, um, Millet, hopefully it probably butchered his name as well, but, um, these are like gorgeous digital paintings that he created for this Gucci campaign and collection. And um, he's also used some images from his own imagination. Um, and one of them, it just like spoke to my heart. It was a scene of Gucci clad mermaid models lounging lakeside, clutching their iPhones and a flying unicorn resting at a parking lot near a pair of slides. <laughs> so if you can imagine, um, very kind of fantastical, surreal, digital paintings. And so it was really cool because it's the, it was Gucci's first photo-free, first fully digital painted fashion campaign. Um, so it's kind of a old meets new with the traditional paintings, meets the digital artwork, but also um, the departure from the photography and um, just kind of their thought was stepping away from photography for a fashion campaign and would be really refreshing to instead use digital painting um, and that it would stand out more. So it's just a really cool overlap of fashion, art, digital media, um, and art history. I just thought was was really, really neat. And these pictures are gorgeous, and we'll definitely have those in the show notes so you can take a peek at that as well. But really um, great story by, by Artnet. I thought that was really cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's such a creative way of combining the different medias and you know, again, maybe like referencing back, like he maybe wasn't trying to be perfect, but he came up with a whole new way of combining these things and making it his own and, you know, starting something new. I know. I just, I love the the new combination. And I'm always trying to think of like, I think because um, I have a heavy design background and I used to be a teacher, but I also love to paint. I'm always thinking of 
you know, like, how can I combine these things? You know, <laughs> like, um, so I, I love it when people, especially like with technology, when they're able to use technology and art together, I think it's just extremely fascinating. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. All right, Volta, what's our creative workout of the week in our goodie? For this week, I was hoping that we could try this idea, which first, uh, I heard about on the Jealous Curator podcast from Daniel uh, Krista. Yes. She was talking about making bad art on purpose. So in her idea, she was she was explaining it. So you basically get a group of people together and almost have like a party with a bunch of snacks and delicious drinks. And then the whole idea is that you make bad art. So you're not going there to create a masterpiece or do something beautiful, but Instead, your your whole aim is to make something as ugly, as bad as you can possibly dare to make it. That's awesome. And I, I personally love that idea because I think, well, first of all, it just like beats, you know, that perfectionism voice out of your head because, well, it has <laughs> no it has no room here. You know, that's not what you're making. Uh, that's not what you're set out to make. And I just think it could be so freeing to um, just have fun and like really delve into the process of maybe you're gluing things that don't belong together or adding litter where it shouldn't be or um, I don't know, making using markers that shouldn't go onto this type of material, you know, just breaking (laughs) all the rules and making a mess, but having fun. And I think the idea of of sharing that with other people can be especially cathartic because you're you're all in it and you're having fun instead of you know sitting by yourself in your room and trying to say or think oh this is not perfect this will never be perfect oh i i love this idea because i think it almost it puts you pretty much into the boxing ring with your perfection with your perfectionism because you're staring it down in the face and you're saying I'm going to make bad art on purpose. <laughs> and it almost forces the issue for you to face the perfectionism. And you're, and you're constantly like with every decision that you make to glue something down or to make a mark, you're constantly saying like, I'm making this ugly on purpose. And so yeah. <laughs> it forces the confrontation, yeah. but yeah, but you get to do it with like a bunch of friends who are all doing the same thing. And you add in some wine um, and, and no one cares anyway. So, and it, yeah, so cathartic. Great idea. Yeah. I can't wait to try that out. I actually yes. have never done it, but I think that would be so much fun. Now we've, we've been talking about this for a really long time, I think almost a year. And so we need to have our bad art party and we'll be sure to document it and share all the pictures yeah. of our bad art. And we'll just, um, we'll just face it head on with you guys. And, um, hopefully, you guys are able to pull some friends together and, and have a bad art party and, and your friends won't be able to use the excuse, oh, I'm not an artist because it's literally a bad art party. Like, what are they going to, what are they going to say to you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like no excuses. No excuses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so along with that, uh, I wanted to mention the goodie for today is our artist tiles on Amazon, which is like $5. And so these tiles are essentially like 75 pieces of little square papers um, but they're awesome because they're not attached to each other. So you can, you know, scribble or make some art on one. And if you don't like it, you can just throw it away. Like It's not a big deal. 
but but they're really like tiny and small and so very approachable to just if you want to you know if you're not sure if you want to like invest in like a legit sketchbook or anything like that or like more expensive paper but um i i just love them they're so approachable and tiny and cute and just just great yeah, I love them too. I was telling Volta earlier that um, these these little artist tiles that Volta told me about um, have really helped me move forward with my practice because I was one of the people who just, I couldn't even work in a sketchbook because the idea of all of my bad art being like together in one place was just, I just like couldn't face that thought. And so um, these like little pieces of paper, I think they're what, two or three, I guess they're probably like three inches by three inches, something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think like three by three, maybe little pieces of paper. Um, it seems really dumb and simple, but they are so freeing because like Walter said, you can just throw it or recycle it or whatever um, if you don't like it. And they take watercolor really well mm-hmm. and they yes. take um, like marker and pen really well, too. So they're they're pretty stout little guys for being these like small pieces of paper. And um, I've loved just doing like tiny little illustrations on there, especially if you're constrained for time. You know, and like most sketchbooks are like a five by seven. And like, to me, that's a lot of space to cover up. <laughs> so if yeah. you are crunched for time, like it's really hard to talk yourself out of a three by three um, sketch, you know, and I think an added bonus for me is I love giving these things away. So you can like, like I have a huge box of these now that have piled up. And, you know, so like every so once in a while, I'll do like a giveaway on like social media, like Twitter, Instagram, where I'll, I'll you know, people comment and I'll send them. Um, these little sketches that I've had laying around or like if you know as like a thank you note to somebody I'll make one and I'll write like a thank you note on the back so they're so fun to like give away and then it's not a waste Um, it's kind of like a double purpose thing so yeah I love that idea of making making art and then giving it away because that's I mean that's the whole purpose of you know, you can create for yourself, but if you get to share with someone and make someone's day, even if it's like a silly little flower, like that is so meaningful. It's so meaningful, especially for people who don't feel like they're very good at art or that don't feel like they're very creative. Like you may feel like it's a crappy drawing, but to them, it's really special because A, you made it for them and mm-hmm. B, it's not something that they feel like they could do themselves. And so um, they really are meaningful. Like people go crazy over these tiny little um, tile sketches. So yeah, I really can't, it seems so silly. It's like $5 for 75 of them, but really again, no excuse. Like you could buy a pack of these for $5 for your bad art party and just like spread them all over the place and just like go to town. And <laughs> yeah, I love that. So fun. Awesome. So, uh, for, for, to conclude our episode our soul chai for today is the following quote that um i found when i was just looking for like what is you know i was trying to find like what is the best quote about perfectionism because it's just like such a hot topic for especially for creatives and people that want to be try to be creative so here it goes it's a quote uh from ann lemmett in her book bird by bird Perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. It will keep you cramped and insane your whole life, and it is the main obstacle between you and a shitty first draft. I think perfectionism is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, hitting each stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. The truth truth is that you will die anyway, and that a lot of people who aren't even looking at their feet 
are going to do a whole lot better than you and have a lot more fun while they're doing it. Wow. I mean, (laughs) that's a bit of an ouch. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, it's so true, though. We all have a limited amount of time uh, in our lives, you know, that, that we're present on this earth. So why why worry and spend that time agonizing over creating something just right, just the perfect way when people that, you know, don't even think about it, they have so much more fun and, you know, they live the same the same kind of like lifespan, but they have more fun and enjoy it to the fullest. Yeah, absolutely. One of the people that comes to mind when I think about that when you're talking about it is um, Gary Vaynerchuk or Gary V. And I just feel like he's a perfect example of this because I know that he's been like hustling really hard for a really long time, but now he's to the point where he's literally just, he puts out so much content that he's just jumping over. He's just jumping every stepping stone. You know what I mean? He's just skipping along, having a blast and he's just putting out content and he's not second guessing it. He's not polishing it to the nth degree, he's not fine tuning it, but he's able to get so much content out because he's just doing it and putting it out there and moving forward onto the next thing. Yeah. And it's just incredible how he's been able to, um, to do that. So that's kind of my like perfectionism, non-perfectionism goals <laughs> with respect to, yeah, that's so you know, content creation. Yeah. It's like, how many times do we sit and just like overthink something to death? And it's, it's like, we just need to get it out there. We just need to get it out there. Yeah. <laughs> because the otherwise time, it won't. <laughs> exactly. And in the time that we spent like an hour agonizing over an email, Gary V probably produced like 30 freaking videos that aren't perfect. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they, love yeah, <laughs> they get the message across. and <laughs> They do. They get the message across and, and he's memorable because of it, because yeah. he's not sitting there polishing off his rough edges. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's raw and he's real and people remember that. So just... Do what Gary V does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, you guys, we hope this episode left you inspired to show up and be imperfect. You know, in whatever you are pursuing, maybe it's art, maybe it's another creative pursuit or just work. You know, maybe it's the, the work that you do every day, but you're still uh, show up and, you know, despite the fear that you may mess up. But, you know, the importance is that you keep going and keep moving forward. Yep. Absolutely. There's just embrace the beauty that's to be had in imperfection. And we hope that the tips that we shared today can help you overcome that just a little bit. Um, Because that mental mountain is, I promise you, it's happening to everyone around us. It's Mm -hmm. just in a different capacity for everyone. So it's. Yep. They are in the car with all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, uh, thanks for listening, you guys. And um, again, you can check us out on Instagram at Creative Bits Podcast or uh, Facebook or visit our, our site for show notes. We appreciate you guys listening to us and we hope you have a great day. Bye.